This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Despite the popularity of John Paul II, opposition to many of his policies had hardened among Catholics by the time of his death. The Church had become more doctrinaire, the voices of millions of dissenters ignored. In his new book, A Church in Search of Itself, Benedict XVI and the Battle for the Future, Robert Baer Blair Kaiser examines the most important and divisive issues confronting the Catholic Church today, the sex abuse scandal, a shortage of priests, the ban on contraception, the roles of women and gays, and the failure to reach out sincerely to other faiths. Kaiser spent 10 years in the Jesuits before he left to pursue a career in journalism. He was religion reporter for the New York Times, Time, and CBS, and now is a contributing editor in Rome for Newsweek. Robert Blair Kaiser, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thank you very much. Happy to be with you. Great to have you with us. Uh, How are you doing today? Well, I'm... I'm (laughs) I'm wondering about my book. I'm trying to get the word out. Uh, uh-huh. It hasn't gotten reviewed uh, in the places that I'd like to see it, but uh, word of mouth seems to be uh, making it uh, a pretty hot item. So uh, my publisher is pleased, and uh, uh, we'll rely on people like uh, like you and uh, my friends on the Internet to get the word around. Very good. Now, now how, how, what was the reception uh, to the book like on the tour? That I, I think you just completed the tour. I, I found a, a, a lot of fascination. Uh, my radio interviewers particularly, who deal with words all the time, were, were fascinated by a word called autoxony, which uh-huh. is a $15 Greek word. It doesn't mean autonomy. It means homegrown. And I'm proposing that the Ameri- American church, American Catholics, uh, stop leaving the church in droves and start thinking about taking it back mm-hmm. and creating a, a new kind of an American homegrown church that is loyal to the Pope but governs itself in American style, accountably. Mm-hmm. Now, now, just you know, <laughs> I I have this thing with that word. I want to clear up in my mind. Is do you know if it's the the same word as uh, comes from a word uh, Thonian? It's C H T H O N I A N, and your autochthony has that kind of root in it's it. It's got from the same root. It uh-huh. means from the ground up. Right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, and there was a right. time in in uh, literature where I think Thonian was was underworld or earthly. But right. but in in this right. context with the church, it means it means bringing it back to the uh, well to the people. That's right. Uh-huh. It's it, it. In other words, uh, during Vatican II, which I covered for Time magazine in the '60s, a lot of the bishops were saying, particularly the missionary bishops, were saying, you know, we made a mistake in the 15th century. Missionaries went out from Portugal and France and Spain and Italy, and they created a colonial church with colonial architecture and a colonial theology and colonial devotions, and they created a European church in Africa and Asia. Mm-hmm. What we'd like to do is create an African church for Africans, an Asian church for Asians. Christ shouldn't need a passport. So after the council, people like, well, the people in the Congo, for example, uh, rewrote their masses in Congolese dialects. They they inserted drums and dancing and colorful costumes, and they, they had a truly Congolese liturgy. And people loved it, and the Vatican approved it. Now... 
they call that enculturation, enculturating the gospel in, in the Congo. But nobody has been thinking about how to enculturate the gospel in the United States. We wouldn't do it, of course, with drums and dancing, but by becoming more of a democratic church. I'm all for the election of bishops. I think then the bishops would be accountable to the people who elected them, not to the Pope who appoints them now. Hmm. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about you. You were uh, a Jesuit for a while. What, what uh, moved you into journalism? Well, I thought I could ha- be more effective uh, as, a, as a writer for Time magazine at Vatican II than I could be teaching, uh, say, English or Latin in a Jesuit high school in San Francisco. So, so I moved along. So that, in a way, is, was kind of a uh, <laughs> taking you personally uh, uh, into an American church by, by trying right. to spread I was kind the... of taking myself back. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> was there a, a point in time uh, as a journalist that you felt that this, this book needed to be written, or is this something that's been building in you? Well, it's been building all my life, uh-huh. really, and, and uh, I've... I've I spent quite a few years in Rome uh, in the 60s, and I went back in the fall of 99 and spent uh, six years there cultivating my sources, getting to know the, the church that I saw at the Vatican, and then realizing that isn't the real church. The real church is out there in the boondocks. So I started traveling around the world, and I started noticing that uh, people were good Catholics, good Christians, uh, exercising their Christian witness without uh, much thought at all about Rome or the Pope or the rules and regulations that were being drafted inside the, the Vatican, they were, they were just uh, clothing the, the, the naked and feeding the hungry and finding shelter for the homeless and doing what Jesus told them to do. Now, now when you went to Rome in 1999, uh, what was it like there in, in uh, contrast to what well, you'd like I, to see? Well, I got there just on the, uh, on the, the, the beginning of, the, of what was called the Jubilee year, the year 2000, the 2000th anniversary of the birth of, of Jesus. And I didn't see much of Jesus there. It looked to me like uh, the Vatican was principally concerned about putting on a show every day. Mm-hmm. They must have had 200 shows during that, that year, uh, Jubilee year 2000. And the, the church itself was becoming more rigid, more clericalized, uh, Many rules and regulations were drafted to put down the laity, the people who were uh, ministering uh, to, to the to the congregations that were de- being deprived of their priests. You know, there's a terrific priest shortage, and a lot of the bishops would be coming to Rome, and I would interview them, and I'd find out, well, what do you what do you ask the Pope when you see him? And some of them told me, well, we'd like to see the ordination of married men. Pope wouldn't hear of it; just slammed his fist down on the table and said. God will provide. God will provide. Of course, God hasn't provided the kinds yeah. of priests that the Pope wanted, i.e., celibate males. Yeah. But in, what was the, the condition of the church like when uh, at uh, Pope John Paul's death, the second? Well, it was a much more divided church than it was when he became Pope mm-hmm. 27 years before. And 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 why is that? Why, what what happened? I I know he was he was he was going for more liberalized ideas. Did it did it? Where, where did the schism happen, or how well, did it happen? It's a, more of a practical schism. It's not a, uh, a real schism. I mean, uh, people just start stop paying attention, and I think they stopped paying attention because the church became more a church of the priests, less a church of the people. Uh, I, I I'm trying to. To, to create an American church, or at least 
get my fellow Catholics to demand an American church so that we can have a sense of ownership of and citizenship in our church. And those two words, ownership and citizenship, aren't words you hear very much. The, the people go to Mass and, and, and they go home, and they don't have any sense of owning anything, or much less having a, a voice or a vote. We're speaking with Robert Blair Kaiser. He's the author of A Church in Search of Self. Now, in Search of Itself, in search right. Of Itself, yes. Sorry yeah. about that. Uh, now, well, how is it that Ratzinger uh, came to prevail uh, uh, you know, after the death of uh, John? What, what was, what, at least from what I read in the book, you weren't expecting that at all, and you know that conservative kind of takeover of the church. What happened? Cardinal Ratzinger was the chief quality control officer, the chief inquisitor of a of a congregation in Rome called the uh, Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, formerly the Holy Office of the Inquisition, and. Only one such man had ever been elected pope in the his, history of the church, Pius V, back in the 15th century. But uh, I, I just didn't think that the 115 cardinals who were gathered to vote for a successor to John Paul II would dare elect such a man. I thought that his public image was so negative. He, he was a real... Uh, he was like... Uh, uh, the the inspector uh, uh, in, in Les Miserables hunting down Jean Valjean. He was hunting down uh, creative uh, theologians most of his career, and and he condemned 138 of them during his career, maybe more, because some theologians that he put on ice, he told them that, uh, that they they couldn't they couldn't tell anybody that they had had in fact been disciplined. Explain that process just a little bit when you say. As it, sort of the church enforcer, what are, what are the uh, what well, happens to you if you're well? You're, well you get you get called down the carpet in Rome, and you are put on trial, and it's all secret. Nobody's watching. There's there's no public record of it. It's all according to old Roman canon law. Uh, literally put on you're literally put on monarchy uh, yeah. with the the Pope as the judge, jury, and executioner, and he uses his. Uh, his minions in order to enforce that. So, in other words, it sort of it, does it become a kind of an inquisition of an intellectual uh, um, exactly. rigidity that they're exactly that any any creative ideas uh, are, are squelched. You have to put you have to continue to repeat the same old well worn words over and over again, even when people don't understand them. One of the one of the things they tried to do at the Vatican II, which I covered for Time Magazine in the sixties, they tried to to uh, to recast the the gospel in terms that people could understand, the Pope said that the substance of the faith is one thing, but the way in which it is expressed is quite another. And we were seeking new creative ways of expressing the faith, and that seems dangerous to some. Hmm. Well, let me then let me ask you: What is how does Rome perceive the American Catholic Church? I, are we the are we the cash cow? And uh, as long yeah, as we, I was going to say uh, they perceive it as a cash cow. Forty five percent of the Vatican's budget comes from the United States. Another forty five percent comes from Germany, and the other ten percent comes from the rest of the world. Wow, what a disparity! Yeah. Now, so as long as we keep feeding money, well, and then doesn't that give us tremendous leverage with the Vatican? Or Not does really? It? All their I have one month American Monsignor friend who. Who tells me they're only interested in us for our money, not our ideas? 
And yet the ideas uh, that were formulated in the American Constitution in 1787 could well be used to the, uh, for the governance of, of the church. It would create a much more accountable church. That's one of the, one of the bottom, one of the conclusions we've drawn from the sex scandal that has been going on for four years now. It's not only that we've got a few bad priests who've been having their way with little kids, but we've got bishops who've been covering up for them. Yeah. yeah that's it's such a, it's such a massive sin. <laughs> A crime. I mean, right. whatever the word is they want to use. Right. I don't See, know. The bishops, the bishops don't have to account to us. They're appointed by the Pope, and so they're accountable to the Pope. Imagine if we had uh, uh, all of the mayors of our American cities were appointed by President Bush and not elected by the people. Who would they be accountable to? They'd be accountable to the president. Yeah. 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 And we would have no voice and no vote. Yes. And, 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 you know, Washington's a long way away. The president can't be looking over the shoulders of 197 American mayors. But, go ahead, Mike. Uh, this may be too specialized a question for our discussion, but how does, the, how does Rome view the Catholic worker movement? Wow, that's a good question, you know. Um, Catholic worker movement was founded by a holy woman named Dorothy Day yeah. in New York City oh, about 50 years ago. Yeah. And they really are living the gospel, Matthew 25. They mm. feed the hungry and clothe the naked and give shelter to the homeless. But in some ways, they're the most radical Catholics. They are the most radical Catholics. They are. They're, they're the people who run those Catholic worker centers around the country, and they must have 50 of them at least around the country, live very poorly, and they just give their all. They're real Christians. They're a kind of a prophetic witness to uh, another kind of church. But, but in, in, in some ways, the, the actions of, of a living Christ, and yet at the same time, in, in Rome, they must be viewed with, with quite, a, quite a bit of suspicion in giving I, their po- politics. I'm not sure that Rome even pays much attention to them. Yeah. Rome is pretty well uh, self-preoccupied. They're yeah. quite happy in their comfort. They're, they're living... Uh, they're, they are the church. The rest of us only belong to it, and they, they live in a rather splendorous way. Okay. Now, now if, if if there were to be an American Catholic Church, yeah. uh, how do you think? Uh, what would the relationship be between that church and the Catholic worker? Do you think would it be much closer? Oh, I think so. Yeah. I, I think so. Sure. The, the, Did you uh, even see I, it I, as? I must tell your tell you and your and your listeners. I'm not proposing a split from uh, the, the Catholic Church. The model is an ancient one. Okay. We have 20 autochthonous churches inside the Catholic Church. Most people don't know this, but the Maronites, the Melkites, the Copts, the Byzantines, the Chaldeans, and so forth are all loyal to the Pope, but they have their own patriarch, their own polity, their own married clergy, their own liturgy, and their own language, and yet they're good Catholics, I and I think this. we can imitate that yeah. with a, a modern American, in a, an American style. Now, does, does it have to be recognized in any way, or what's the procedure? If, 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 if uh, you know, the American Catholics decided to become autochthonous, yeah. what would, what would, what's the procedure to get there? Yeah. Well, uh, there, there is some machinery that's already been set up by canon law. Uh, canon 443 talks about regional uh, synods uh, or conventions, uh, and we had three of them, three national Catholic conventions in the 1800s, the first, second, and third councils of Baltimore. We had none in the 20th century. 
they were called in the eight, in the 19th century to write rules for the American church. I'm proposing that we have a fourth Council of Baltimore that would look very much like the Constitutional Convention of 1787 in Philadelphia and write a constitution for the American Catholic Church with three branches, an executive branch, a judicial branch, and a legislative branch, maybe two houses, a house of bishops and a house of commons that would serve as a check and balance one to the other. And we would have, therefore, an accountable church, a church that would exercise uh, its, uh, its governance in an open manner, not the closed secret manner that is current, currently in vogue in what, was, what has to be called a monarchic church. It was made a monarchy back in, in the 11th century by Gregory VII, and it's still a monarchy, and it's kind of out of date. Well, I know there was a, a tremendous amount of movement within the Catholic Church to include lay people in in the conduct of the Mass and in the distribution of the the sacraments. Right. Has that been beaten back by the by this current uh, and by Pope John Paul and by this current regime? Has it? As a matter of fact, it's kind of an anomaly. They keep talking about a priest shortage, and yet they keep putting down the lay people, men and women, who come forward to uh, to help the priest. Uh, when you say they, you mean the official church, are, are cardinals, are they the ones enforcing the will of, of Rome? Right, okay. right. There's a, there's a particular uh, bureau in the Vatican uh, the, on the uh, sacraments, and they, they keep writing rules saying lay people can help, but they've got to stay out of the sacristy. They, they can't come on the altar. Uh, we can't call the ministers. So are you uh, seeing this actually happen in churches, or are we openly defiant, or what? How's that, how's that uh, work? That's a good question. You know, sometimes uh, the rules are, uh, are written in Rome, but Rome is a long way away, <laughs> and uh, most of our good priests kind of uh, wink at them, and yeah. we still see men and women up on the altar. It's a, well, by the way, we're speaking with Robert Blair Kaiser, and he's the author of a book, a new book, The Church in Search of Itself, um, we're uh, let me go back to something you, you said at the very beginning of the interview, which is you're having some difficulty getting the book reviewed. Is there some? Do you suspect some sort of official kind of? Uh, no, I, just, I you just don't. haven't I just been able. I think there are too too darn many books being written, and it's very difficult <laughs> okay. to, to. You know, there might be a hundred thousand books published this year, and the New York Times can only review maybe a thousand of them. So. Well, well, uh, it's easy to get lost these days. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame because it's an important book, yeah. especially given the way religion is turned in this country with Pentecostals and evangelicals, and and you have a, a you know a, a, an established tradition that just wants to to change enough to to bring people into the fold, and uh, and people are ignoring the call for that. And well, well we, we, I'm I'm hopeful. Uh, I think the. Uh, the broadcast people are interested. I think the word will will uh, be passed along. Uh, I, I love the internet. It, there are no gatekeepers on the internet, and ideas, good ideas, will will uh, not only uh, survive but thrive and and multiply. Well, and it comes at particularly critical time for the Catholic Church in America because the uh, the sex scandal has just decimated uh, the perception, the image whatever you want to say of, of the Catholic Church. Well, it's made us ashamed of being Catholics, but I'm, I'm particularly heartened in the last uh, month or so when I see that the bishops of the United States, particularly the bishops in the Southwest, have tried to, uh, to, to educate 
us about the uh, the immigration crisis yeah. and try yeah. to help us see that the the people that we're trying to keep out are really uh, marvelous, hardworking family people, and they're being uh, hounded now at the border by vigilantes who, who heard them heard them together at gunpoint yeah. and turn them over to the border patrol. And it, the church is uh, is uh, counseling uh, compassion here. Is that something you can see incorporated into a? Uh, if you had a constitutional invention, convention in Baltimore, some sort of uh, acknowledgement of that of the well, immigration, I would, I would expect to see uh, Hispanics uh, delegate to to that convention and <clears throat> speak up for themselves. Uh-huh. Well, the, the, you've brought something uh, up that I think is critical to to the immigration issue, and it's constant. We're constantly talking about it now. But it's it, the dialogue has been primarily between um, po- the pol- political class and the white voters um, until until Hispanics, Latinos are involved in making decisions and making policy in this regard. It's going to be a problem for for many, many, many decades to well, come. Well, we have to encourage them to speak up. Now, I understand that three quarters of the Catholics in Los Angeles are Hispanic. Yeah, yeah, the and demographic is. They're beginning to speak up, and yeah. I'm heartened by that. I yeah. mean, they're. Uh, m- many of them are Americans. They're not. They're not illegals. They're American Hispanics. It, in my experience, uh, it takes quite a bit to stir the Latino voter. But once they are uh, engaged, uh, they will be a force to be reckoned with. And I think that we're going to see some of that. I give credit to uh, Cardinal Mahoney and uh, yeah. the bishops in the Southwest for yeah. uh, uh, helping helping them stand up for themselves. Yeah. Well, we, we are running very low, very quick. Just a quick yeah. – did you yeah. have one? No, no. I was going to ask you, you know, I'm, if, you're, if, if our listeners are Catholic and they want to do something about this, if they'd like to see this, uh, this happen, what, what would you suggest they do? Yeah. Uh, go, to, go to my website. It's a new website. It's called www.takebackourchurch.org. Takebackourchurch.org. Go there, read the welcome letter, and you'll understand what we're talking about. And sign in. We're looking for a million folks to give us uh, a certain uh, uh, visibility and credibility and critical mass. When we get the critical mass, I think we can move the American bishops. I'm not against bishops. I just want bishops to be servant bishops, not lord bishops. There you go. Well, Robert Blair Kaiser, thank you so much for being on Weekly Signals. Once again, the book is A Church in Search of Itself. Benedict the Sixteenth and the battle for the future. Uh, any th- any parting words? <laughs> no, just thank you very much for, All right. for putting the word out. All right, All right. Well, we're our well, thank pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. To learn more about weekly signals, interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit NathanCallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals.